Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. Hey, Linda, I kind of like that, how it goes. The first three notes of Come, Come, You Saints, and then da-da-da-da-da-da-da, Ayers on the Road. (laughs) (laughs) That's nice. Nice of them. Yeah. Um, We are home today, both of us. Imagine that. First time in a long time we've done Ayers on the Road from Ayers in the Home, which is great. We love it. Uh, But I'm on the road uh, pulling out weeds um, because the road in front of our house is full of weeds and we have a wedding coming up. So. Oh, that that's counts. what's on your mind. I wondered what was on your mind. Yeah, it's always on my mind, as you know. Anyway, we are happy to be talking today. We've got um, what we hope is a fun show. Yeah, we, we were a little worried after the show ended last week because it was kind of doom and gloom. We were passing on so many sort of disturbing statistics and uh, numbers and phenomenon about the decline of families throughout the world. And after we hung up, I said to Linda, gee, I, I hope we weren't too uh, too uh, depressing and gloom and doom, but I think we kind of were. So today, we're going to kind of reverse the trend and we're going to talk about things that families can do, individual families that can save them from some of the trends that are going on in the world, that can literally inoculate them against the negative directions that values and some of the things that uh, the world teaches our children seem to be going. And maybe the best way to say that, Linda, you you do this so well, it's, it's, it's all about creating a strong family culture, isn't it? It is. And, you know, we always say that first when we're doing some media on this uh, new book that we've done, we always say, you know, it's all, all about creating a culture in your family that is stronger than the outside culture, which is easy to say, very hard to do. Well, think of some of the other cultures that our children are exposed to every day of their lives. The, the peer culture, for starters, is not always what we wish it was. I, I know some of you listeners have certain friends that your kids have that you'd... Uh, you kind of secretly wish that family would move to Missouri or to uh, Timbuktu <laughs> well, or anywhere <laughs> anywhere to get them out of your neighborhood because you're not so sure that they're a good influence on your kids. So there's the peer culture. Then there's the Internet culture, which scares us all to death on many levels, the social media culture, the uh, smartphone culture, the media culture, the... Uh, materialism, sort of advertising culture. I mean, there's a lot of bad cultures out there, honey. There are a lot of bad cultures, and and boy, as we've been writing, <clears throat> excuse me, and doing research, we've realized that there are more than we realize. That um, I'm sure there's more than you realize that your kids are exposed to. I mean, they realize it, but it is just amazing what is happening. The internet is exploding. Well, and, you know, what really worries us sometimes when we're, I was going to say preaching, I shouldn't say that, when we're presenting to groups of parents is some, once in a while a parent will say, well, you know, I'm just kind of following my parents' model. They did a pretty good job with me, so I'm doing a good job with my kids. Now, that might be a wonderful thing. That might refer to family traditions or other things that have been passed down through the family. But if they're referring to an idea that 
pretty much the world's the same now as it was when they were growing up. Mercy, mercy, mercy. There's a lot of room for doubt about that statement. I mean, what 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 most parents were exposed to as children in the area of pornography, for example, is nothing compared to what kids are exposed to today. What what they were exposed to as kids in terms of materialism and uh, the debt culture and credit cards and so on is nothing compared to what it is today. And you, you can go on and on. The culture has changed so dramatically. And what what it really boils down to, you still have the power. And, boy, we believe this with all our hearts. This is the sort of core of this new book of ours called The Turning. The, the whole core of it is you actually, as a parent, have the power have the potential, have the capacity to create a family culture that is stronger than all these other cultures that literally supersedes them and has a greater influence on your children than all those other cultures combined. And But I hasten to say it's not easy. It's, it used to be easier than it is now. A passive approach to parenting will not cut it in today's world. A proactive approach where the conscious goal is to create a family culture that influences kids more than these other cultures. That's what's required. That's a commitment to a proactive form of parenting that, frankly, a lot of parents haven't made yet. It's really true. I, you know, parents just throw up their arms and say, what can I do? I mean, our kids are saying, but so-and-so has this, and we're just in the dark ages, and, and so-and-so has that, and they can do that, and so on. And uh, we love it when parents say that, because what we say to them is three words you can give your kids in our family. In our family, this is the way we do it. And, you Thank know, you for telling us about your friend and how they do it in their family. But in our family, this is what we do. And kids will moan and groan and grumble. But in their hearts, they actually feel a certain degree of security by knowing that they have a distinct family entity and identity and that it is not going to change. Now, you have to be careful about that. You have to have family meetings. You have to talk it over with your kids so that they know that they're involved. Um, we, I think we mentioned this last time uh, how important it is to have the kids involved because if you come down with a heavy hand and say, no TV for the rest of your life, and... Um, two hours on Saturday you can be on the computer, you're going to get really a lot of pushback, and you're going to get your kids running to the neighbors to get what they need. So it needs to be um, consensus with your kids so that they all, everybody understands this is what we've decided is best for us as a family, and this is the way we're going to do it. So let us suggest to you, let's be very concrete today. We in in this uh, in this new book, The Turning, uh, there's sort of a book within a book. After we get through all the doomsday scenarios of what's happening to families, we come to part two, which is essentially saying how to save your family from this malaise that's going on out there. And it suggests seven focuses for strengthening your family culture. Now, you know, some of you listeners know that uh, we've been at this parenting business and writing and speaking to parents for two or three decades, maybe more than that. And, and what we've tried to do here is to distill 
a lot of the best practices we've found, and believe me, they're not all ours. There are, we've we've been the beneficiaries of seeing a lot of great family cultures over the years, and we've tried to distill seven things that we think are really the key to building a strong family culture. And I might just read you the. Uh, the lead into this, and then we're, we may not cover all seven of them today, Linda. But we'll we'll start, and if we don't finish, we'll it'll be a two-part show, and we'll come back and finish the rest of them next week. But let me read you this lead-in. Any it says any concerned parents who has become aware of the dangers of today's larger cultures has three options: one, give up and give in to the enemies and influences that are so much bigger than we are. And unfortunately, we see parents doing that a little bit. Number two, try to organize and fight against the enemies using anything from boycotts to letters to our congressmen. Well, that's a wonderful thing, but, you know, let's be honest. Who's got time for that in the midst of raising kids? And option number three, create a family institution strong enough to resist the dangers posted by the larger institutions and false paradigms that exist in the cultures that swirl around our children. This chapter focuses on the third option. Not that anything's wrong with option number two. In fact, later in the book, we give some ideas for organizing as parents to try to demand more of larger institutions. But most of us as parents know that the thing we have the best chance of influencing in the short term is our own families. After all, we are with our kids on a daily basis. And we have the most influence on change when we operate in our own sphere. We also know deep down that if we put forth the effort, seek the right help, and persist, we actually can be the predominant influence in our families and with our own children. So with that, in, with that lead in, let's, let's tell you what we think are the seven most important things that you can do to make your own family culture strong. Okay, so the first one is a recommitment to marriage and family. Um, we just did a, a TV show yesterday, and they said, well, what do you do if one of the partners is just total apathetic? Like, you take care of that, honey, and I'll just do my thing because I'm not really interested. Um, those are the kinds of families that we are begging to rethink recommitment. It really is so important to commit to a marriage if you are married, recommit to your children even if you're a single mom and struggling. Um, it, it just never hurts. We, we have a friend who's a country doctor, and he said to us once, you know, I have never been to the deathbed of a friend, and this was a guy who went to homes to attend to people who were dying. I have never been there when the patient who was dying said, oh, if only I had spent a little more time with the business. You know, it really is true. We, what we do now makes such a big difference for the future. So I want to read you this first one, this one, number one of seven. Make a conscious personal recommitment to the priority of marriage and family and to the seven unique family functions that parents need to do, and we'll, we'll talk about those a little more, but uh, essentially they're procreation, uh, making a commitment, nurturing, personal identity, teaching values, providing permanence and elder care. And so those things need to be recommitted to. Now, 
you may say, well, I'm committed. I made a commitment. I did that when I got married. All of us can use a recommitment, truly turning our hearts, our priority and our focus and our passion to our children. And and that's the first one because, frankly, if you don't do that, you're not going to have the motivation to do some of the other six that are remaining on this list. It's so true. Um, I think we can go on to number two, if that's okay with you. Let me just say one more thing about commitment, because, you know, in a way, that, that's our, our article in the Deseret News this week is about recommitting. And one of the things that actually we've learned this from some of our own children. We have a son who who was saying the other day, and he's a young father. He just had, He's very into his career and very, very busy. And he was saying, Dad, you know, to me, I see some of my friends who are having trouble in their marriages and having difficulty with their relationships. And and to me, it's all about commitment. I think some of them are still doubting, did I really make the right choice? Should I really have married this person? Now that I'm seeing what's really going on, it's so much harder than I thought it was. And he's he's been, been in a religious position where he's had a lot to do with young, newly married couples. And he was just saying, you know, Dad, if they would only feel a little more firmness in their commitment, they would get through all these things. Because every time something went wrong or they had a serious disagreement or fight with their spouse, they wouldn't, they wouldn't start second-guessing and saying, gee, I wonder if I made the right decision. They would simply say, I made a commitment, and it's a lifetime commitment, and I will get through this little bump in the road that we're having. And you know, Linda, I think he's absolutely right. Absolutely. We'll be back in a couple of minutes to go on with our discussion. And we're back. And I have one more thing to say before we leave recommitment and and recommitting to your spouse and your family that we realize we're talking to a lot of single parents as well. And we have to say that we have a family member who really needed to have a divorce. (laughs) It was really a situation where everybody was much better off without each other. And I think we need to be sure that people know we know that. Um, I saw uh, something on TV this morning about um, abuse in the home and husbands abusing wives and so on and them being trapped. And when it gets to that, obviously, we just need to clarify. Well, and I, you know, I'm not saying that there's never a case where divorce is merited, although I will say, Linda, and you may totally disagree with this, but I think that the family member you're referring to, there was a lack of commitment, and whether that's the only problem, you know, we, we don't want to debate that, but... But again, that making ma- making recommitments is not a unique idea. There are people all over the world who actually remake their marriage vows, have a second. We're not suggesting that. That's a formal way. It wouldn't be nothing wrong with that. But we're just saying, in your heart, the first of these seven steps is a total recommitment. And then number two is about correct principles. It is. You know, we really need to remember that. Um, we need to teach our kids things that are true and right. And, you know, they they oppose and overcome and supersede these false paradigms that our kids see every day. Um, there's let, us, let us tell you what we're, what we're meaning by that. I mean, if you, if you, if your child is just learning from the other cultures in his life, let's say the media culture, 
then he probably thinks, uh, let me be blunt, he probably thinks the F word is the most common word in the English language. He probably thinks that jumping into bed on the first date is the norm. He probably, I'm not, hopefully he doesn't really think that, but I mean, if he were to take media at its face value, those are some of the things that he would end up thinking. And we as parents have to be aware of the messages that are coming to our kids, and we need to essentially say, you know, that's wrong, and let me tell you what's right. There are so many messages that our kids are getting. Um, One of them might even be, we were talking to someone this morning, um, if you're out there to earn the dollar and, and that is your focus and money is all important because of things that can bring your family, you need to rethink that a little bit and realize that relationships are so much more important than money. And if your money, your going after money is really getting in the way of a relationship, you need to think about it. Yeah, so you're you're spot on, Linda. So again, you know, if if kids were just to accept the paradigms that come at them from the other cultures in their life, they would conclude that what really matters in life is outside appearances, instant gratification, how much we can get, and and we as parents have to counter that by teaching them. No, no, what matters is who we are inside. What matters is how much we give. What matters is how hard we work for things. And you may say, well, those are obvious. Well, they're not obvious in these other cultures. So number two principle focus, we think, is to actually systematically go after the false things that our kids are being taught and basically turn it around. Another another big one is that... Uh, there is an absolute right and an absolute wrong in a lot of things. The world essentially teaches, well, it's shades of gray and it's really not wrong and you can rationalize here and rationalize there. And we need to say, no, it really is. There are things that are right and there are things that are wrong and we have to recognize them. So you get the idea. Principle number two is, and again, is this easy? No, but countering those incorrect principles with correct principles is step number two after commitment. Let me just add one more thing before you go to speaking of false paradigms. I mean, five minutes ago on the news, I just heard again that it costs $245,000 to raise a child to the age of 18. And that's without, uh, yeah, that's before college. That's before college. And they, they they say this over and over and over again, and it is just not true. And so you say, well, how, well what, wait, what, is the media lying? Where did they get these numbers? We, we did a little research on where they get these numbers, and they're counting things that aren't real. For example, they're saying every time you have a new child, part of the cost is you've got to add another room on your house. and The, the cost to add an, a room to a house is X number of dollars. So they're adding up all these things. Yeah, and and the both parents must be working, and so the pre, the preschool is going to be you know yada yada a, a fortune every month, and uh, all those things. I mean, new clothes for your child. You're going to the um, shops that have all the you know coolest stuff for your baby. I mean, 
it, this makes us so angry every time we see it. We better not well, get because started it, on you know, Well, because it discourages parents yeah. from having a child. I mean, if you were just getting started out there and you hear a news report, it costs a quarter of a million dollars to raise a child, and then college on top of that, you better plan on another quarter million. And you're and you're a 25-year-old recently married person. You say, where am I going to get a million, half a million dollars? I better not have a child. So, so the bottom line of this second principle is: don't believe it. Don't. Number one, don't you believe a lot of the things that uh, you hear, especially in media? And number two, don't let your kids go on believing that the norm they see in entertainment media or on the internet is really the norm at all, because it's not. It's a minority masquerading as a majority. So, that's principle number two. Now. Linda, introduce number three, which happens to be my favorite. Maybe this is as far as we'll get today, and we'll save the other four for next week. Well, number three is very interesting, and, and I think when you hear us say these, you go, yeah, that's right, that's right, that's what we need to do. But number three is time management and balance um, with the priority and emphasis on spouse and children. As you plan your day and your week, set aside and reserve time for the family. Set relationship goals and help children understand that relationships are ultimately more important than achievements. That's a big one. Well, and the reason is, and the reason we actually, the name of the principle is reinvent time management and balance because, you know, there's a lot of great time management experts in the world and you can hardly turn around without someone suggesting to you a, a better way to plan your day or a way to get more done in a day or a way to prioritize your tasks or whatever. We have a couple of good friends that that's their, that's their living is creating time management tools. We were just with one of them this morning, a wonderful person. But the thing to be careful of is time management and balance tools that emphasize achievements at the expense of relationships. And, you know, you'll, you'll see lists, things to do, tasks to accomplish, goals to reach, and, and those are all good things, but they we have to recognize they they generally have to do with our careers, with our achievement, with our accumulation, and so on. They don't have enough to do with relationships and being able to say, well, yeah, I want to do all those things, but what I want to do even more than those things is to have good relationships with my spouse and with my children. In fact, the reason I want to accomplish those things is to, they're the means to the end. The end is my family. The end goal, the actual controlling interest in my life is my family and my spouse and my children. So what do you have to do? What does that mean as a practical matter? It means when you plan your day in the morning, before you start writing down the things to do, before you start writing down the meetings you have to go to and the places you have to be and the presentation you have to make or whatever, take just a few minutes and write down a couple of things you're going to do for your relationships that day. Is there something your spouse needs that you could provide that day? Maybe it's just a, a note. Maybe it's just an encouraging word. Maybe it's just look her in the eye and tell her she's your first priority. What 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 does one of your kids need that day? What have you noticed? What can you do that day 
that will improve the life of one of your children or your relationship with one of your children. And what we're saying is you reinvent time management so that you think of those things first. You write them down before you start planning your busy day and all the things you have to achieve that day. I have to say that I'm married to the master of this. (laughs) Richard is so great at doing that. I mean, he really does it every day. Well, no, I think you do it naturally, but I think, you know, I'm I'm not meaning to disagree with a compliment, honey, but but you are a natural nurturer, whereas I am a type A person who, if I would let myself, I would just achieve things all day long. That's where I'd get my jollies. I would not think hard enough about relationships. But I, 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 that's what I'm appealing to, to other type A listeners to do. And by the way, type A is interesting. We think type A stands for achieving, accomplishing, accumulating, uh, and all those good things, but they're not as important as relationships. Well, it really is true, but I have to say I am distractible. I get started on something, and then I see something else that needs to be done, and I get that done, and then I say, but, oh, but I, and then I get, I've got ten projects in my hands before I know it. And I think it's so important to keep focused on the main thing is the relationships, and not all day, but just to give it a thought in the morning about what can I do to help somebody today to improve a relationship with a child or even a friend. It really does make a big it difference. It does make a difference. Now, we've only got through three of the seven. We'll pick up on the other four next week. In the meantime, we would like to give you a little homework assignment. If you have a minute and you're by a computer, check out www.the-turning.com. The turning with a hyphen in between the words. And you'll see the kind of movement we're trying to, we're kind of hoping this new book kind of creates a movement of parents recommitting, getting on the bandwagon to make families their highest priority. And you might enjoy a little visit to that website. And in the meantime, have a wonderful week, and we will see you next time on Ayers on the Road. Bye-bye. <laughs>